Sure, Jessica and Bruce are going to the beach, but are they going to the beach? It's extra drama for book number three, Playing With Fire. So this is the bonus episode for Sweet Valley Diaries for book number three, Playing With Fire. And I'm here with my friend Caitlin McCann. We're having such a great time talking about Playing With Fire and really just picking it apart in a way that it was never (laughs) meant to be dissected, that it just had to spill over into a little bit more recording time. And Caitlin, I understand that like a good academic, you have a question for me. Well, you know, because I am such a novice for this series and this is maybe... um you know, we'll call it academic inquiry, but it's also just straight up nosiness, um, <laughs> which I think is also very true to who I am as a person. Uh, I this early on in chapter one, I think there's this description of Roger Collins as being kind of like this babe teacher. Oh yeah, and I immediately scribbled down. I was like, I need to know if there's a hot for teacher book. You know. Roger Collins is described as being sexy every time he is described, and he is described in almost every book, but it's always like the students really responded to him because he was so nice and so attractive, but um, I don't think there is a hot for teacher book unless it's just beyond my scope. Okay, because that was my big question, because I felt like that was uh, suitably melodramatic for a series based on the standards that have been set with Playing With Fire. Well, it could be, like, just beyond my very wide purview. I mean, I've read most of these books, but it gets crazier as the series goes on. So listeners, write in and let me know if there's a book uh, in the tail end of the series, or I'm just forgetting about the book where Mr. Collins is in a Hot for Teacher moment. Um, Mr. Collins does have a relationship, I believe, with Ms. Dalton, another one of the mm. teachers in the school. She gets name dropped, but we don't see her in this. No, she, she factors in more in uh, in number two, um, Secrets. Mm, great title. Oh, yeah. These <laughs> titles are excellent. Um, so as uh, we talked about on uh, last week's episode, you have copious notes that you've brought with you. Yes. And um, you had a lot of thoughts on uh, this book, and I want to let you take the reins here. Okay. Um, And please also know, listeners, that I get that this is a beloved series. And if you're listening to this, you are probably doing it because it was a bit of a nostalgia tweak for you. Like, you you read these books, you might love them, you might hate them. So, like, please don't ever take my comments disrespectfully. <laughs> well, I want to say that I had one working idea for, like, a, a tagline for this podcast was a podcast about nostalgia and whatever's the opposite of nostalgia. <laughs> because it's like, definitely taking a holy grail thing and by looking at it, you're like, oh, that's actually kind of fucked up. Well, what's you're better at languages than I am. Is it is it Schadenfreude? Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude, yeah. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of that going on in here, too. Um, but one of the things... Let's unpack that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I'm back in college. <laughs> no, um, so one of the things... Sorry, no transition there for you listeners. Um, what, like, one of the things that I had noted was I don't watch a lot of horror movies, but reading this book felt kind of similar to watching a horror oh, movie. Oh, so interesting. For me, for me as a, 
you know, woman who is clearly, if you were listened last week, I've learned some lessons for my own romantic past, and I'm more than happy to talk about those. Like, but Thank they, you. yeah, they, um, it felt like I wanted to scream through the book into their world and be like, no, don't do that. It's a trap. So many times. <laughs> right. Because Jessica Wakefield is in Bruce Patman's, he's like under his spell and he is behaving in a very reprehensible way and she is absolutely letting him. Like she's not putting up a fight. Right. And so I had a lot of moments where I just really wanted to scream at the character, specifically Jessica, sometimes Elizabeth. I wanted to kind of like, impart upon them somehow the lessons from my own foolish past you know i was just like no it is it's very similar to watching a horror movie and watching the you know young beautiful woman go into the basement and be like that's where you're gonna die don't go (laughs) you know and you just want to scream at the tv uh so i felt like that was a very weird emotion to have come from a Sweet Valley High novel that's true but it does speak to like the high tension that these books bring I hope that young readers reading these books in the 80s would have had this a similar feeling and that maybe by inspecting that feeling in themselves, like learned a lesson about how they want to deal with boys and shut them down. I don't know. I, that's what I always wonder about reading these books is like, how were they read by the teens of their era? That's a really good question. And I definitely want to come back to that. But to kind of like wrap up, I guess, part of this horror genre thought i had something on i guess it's page 79 uh that i'm going to quote from where elizabeth and todd are having a conversation about jessica and how how much she's given up her personality to Mm -hmm. bruce and todd's yeah todd says to jessica not everything jessica does or feels for him is horrible and I actually put my book down and, like, had to puzzle that one out for a little bit. Because on one hand, I'm like, uh, excuse me, yes, she's losing her personhood. I had almost, if you are a Friends uh, viewer, a regular Friends viewer, there's an episode where the three women, Phoebe, Rachel, and Monica, read a female empowerment book about men stealing their wind. (laughs) Uh, The lightning bearers stealing their their wind. And I just had like one of those moments of being like, well, of course everything she feels for him is horrible because he's stealing her wind. (laughs) And which is, you know, maybe a little too uncharitable. And I really had to think and kind of check myself a little bit. Like, well, is everything she's feeling for him horrible? I don't know. And that was almost, like, part of the horror and the tension of this novel for me, because, like, we only get to see so much. It's weird coming from Elizabeth's wonderful boyfriend, Todd, too, because Elizabeth uh, and Todd have a real sore point between the two of them in that Todd doesn't like Jessica, and a lot of Todd's disdain for Jessica is warranted. Mm -hmm. Todd actually says in this book that he hates Jessica. And Elizabeth just stone coals cold ignores that like she's just like i'm not going to address that right now yeah i think he wanted to talk a little bit about in playing with fire um the element of uh, slut shaming yes uh, playing with fire is a book where sex is alluded to but one thing that we didn't get to in our discussion of the book is actually in this conversation between todd mm-hmm. and elizabeth todd lets Elizabeth know that there is a rumor going around. Bruce Patman has been telling people that he's been getting everything he wants out of Jessica, is I believe the language. 
Uh, that's a direct quote. I'm, I'm looking at it here too, and it says, "And whenever he wants it to." Uh, yeah, and it's it's upsetting. It's upsetting. Uh huh. And you know, so we we this book mostly focuses on interpersonal relationships. You get some of the scope of high school, but for the most part, it's you know person to person dynamics. But like gossip is huge in high school. We've all we've all unfortunately lived and you know survived it. But that's definitely this thread of, well, even if they're not having sex, Bruce is telling everybody that they are. Yes. And then, again, this is a little complicated because teenagers, high school, there's a lot of dynamics at play. But ultimately, even Todd is like, you don't want your sister to have the reputation that she has. And there's this, imp- there's this idea behind that that's like, sex is bad. Yeah, well, and Elizabeth is like, I just know that Jessica would be doing that. And I always want to be like, how do you know that? Like, why do you know that? You know that she spends all this time with Bruce. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like, the very first night, they they spend an evening at the lake at Ken Matthews' party. It's, like, Mm -hmm. kind of their first date. And Elizabeth is up at night worried about Jessica being off with Bruce somewhere. And the book doesn't come out and say it, but I'm sure that Elizabeth is worried about Jessica off losing her virginity to Bruce. Right. That's well, the subtext. That that whole first air quote date that they have at this lake house, uh, he, Bruce takes her top off and then he convinces Jessica to go into the woods and Elizabeth chases after them and actually stumbles on them laying on the ground and their entire conversation where Elizabeth is trying to get Jessica to come back with her, she's still on the ground. Like, she does not sit up. They are still, like, laying on top of one another on the ground. It's a very weird scene. It is super weird. And the book describes Elizabeth as feeling uncomfortable, overhearing a passionate moment. Yeah, and I be- there's maybe a reference to groans. It's, it's again, you said this is kind of an intimate novel for the whole series. Or it it's is, like pretty yeah. It, it doesn't get this um, explicit very often in the series. That's interesting. Um, it's I, it makes me wonder, actually, if there were, like, bad... Uh, reactions to this book and the series felt like they needed to like rein it in and they needed to fix it maybe because this is um kind of like hot and heavy for them a lot of the time like they don't they don't have many conversations but there's a lot of hard passionate kisses (laughs) well and i don't think i mean just to be clear i don't think the word sex appears in this book no even when todd is telling elizabeth about the rumors spread by Bruce, that Mm -hmm. Bruce is telling about Jessica giving him whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. Um, Even then, Todd, that's what Todd says. Right. She's giving him whatever he wants, and that's a bad reputation. He doesn't say Bruce has told everybody in the school that he's having sex with Jessica. And there's two other moments that come to mind that definitely imply sex. One is uh, somebody describes Jessica as belonging to Bruce's body and soul, which, you know, has some sexual subtext to it. And then the other moment, I think, is when, I want to say it's Lila. It's either Lila or Kara, one of Jessica's friends who has also dated Bruce in the past or had a fling with Bruce. This is, like, before the series starts, basically. Yeah. And one of these girls, whomever it is, is having a conversation with Elizabeth and oh, she, it's Kara. It's, it's Kara. Kara. Okay, Kara then has this conversation with Elizabeth about again about Jessica's you know reputation, and she has a line of dialogue that's like, "Well, we know she's having a good time," and so there's this implication that not only is Jessica having a lot of sex, but maybe Kara had a lot of sex with Bruce oh, too. Oh, interesting reading. I like that, or I don't know if I like it, but I 
I mean, if that's what they want to do, I guess. I don't know. Bruce is toxic, so I don't think having sex with him is ever a good idea. But, uh, hey, you know, I think that what we were getting at initially was that in this book, and I think in this world in general, the idea of having sex with anybody is a mark of shame. But I guess it's worth pointing out that these are 16-year-olds. Right. And I mean, again... I mean, Bruce is turning 18, but yeah. then, actually, that gets into some weird legal territory, doesn't it? Possibly, yeah. Um, but, I mean, realistically, and again, I like to overshare, so you're all now welcome into this circle of my life. I lost my virginity at 16. I had sex for the first time in high school. It sucked, but I had it. Sure. Well, and I'm, I know that that's an age that is is not uncommon, not an uncommon age to lose your virginity. And, but it also was, well... I want to say, I was going to say that it was, you know, 20 years later or something, mm-hmm. but I think that um, sometimes we might be kidding ourselves if when we treat the past as if, like, teens in the past weren't having sex. Mm-hmm. Like, Pleasantville is a great example of that, where it's like they go into a fictional 50s world and, you know, their life comes to color from being black and white. Uh, I love that. Sick. When sex. I was in high yeah. school, I love that. That yeah. was so hot to me. <laughs> <laughs> very evocative. Very, very thought-provoking. Oh, well... Um, so there is actually another weird moment that to me felt like a double entendre and it it comes from Elizabeth of all all people in the middle of the book, Jessica comes home and says to Elizabeth who, uh, cooked dinner. It was like Jessica's night to cook dinner, but Mm -hmm. Elizabeth cooked dinner. This is a recurring theme in this book that Jessica isn't home to cook dinner on the night she's supposed to cook. Whoops. And Jessica says, look, I'm really sorry I was late. I, um had something important to do. And Elizabeth says, I know, something called Bruce Patman. Which to me is like a joke. Like you had you had to do Bruce Patman. I mean, it was, when I was in high school, that joke would have meant you were off having sex with Bruce Patman. And there's a moment, I can't remember it, if it's in that scene or not, where Jessica has an eyebrow raise about like, well, we always have a good time when we're together. Like there's a lot of emphasis on the idea of a good time. Yeah. Which, to me, again, you know, that's not a hard leap to sex. No. Well, and what do you think, what do you think would be better? I mean, imagining both real life and, like, for teen readers, do you think it would be better, healthier to read about teens having, like, a positive attitude towards sex? Or just, like, if the books were open about it? What do you think? If you could write Sweet Valley High in 2017... What would you write? I think, uh, and a lot of YA literature handles this really beautifully, I think, um, but at least contemporarily. Um, sure. But I think what would be really important if you were to revise this or if I were to write it now is for Jessica to be open about her sexuality, like for the sex to not be an innuendo, for it to be a hard fact. And then for there to be still slut shaming, but because we see several points in which. Jessica kind of stands up for her gender or, like, gender roles and behaviors, at least initially with Bruce. Like, that doesn't last very long, but she doesn't do it. So I think, ideally, would be to have a character confront the issue of slut-shaming and, like, just own her sexuality would be a really good lesson. Sure. I mean, Jessica does some slut-shaming of her own as the series goes on. So uh, Of course she does. When... I mean, I hate to say this, but when Bruce points the finger at her and says, are you just a tease? I mean, I think Jessica is actually the kind of girl who sort of prides herself on being a tease. Mm. But 
I don't know. She knows what she wants, I guess. I mean, she's very confused in this book, so I think that that's okay. It's a, you're allowed to be confused. Teenagers are allowed to be confused. I mean, sexuality is a confusing thing to begin with, and it takes some of us as adults a very long time to figure it out. So, like, no shame there. Well, I'm curious if you have anything else in your little notebook there. Um, oh, I have plenty. I have plenty. <laughs> However, the one thing, uh, I think Marissa's already raised it a little bit, this idea of almost a time capsule, because as we mentioned several times in the original podcast, if you listen to that, this was, I think, an 83 or an 84 novel. Uh, yeah, it when published. it first came out. And then I have been reading off of the reissued 91. Uh, yeah, 83 is when this, this one first came out. Okay, so uh, something you might not have known about Marissa and I is that we lived together for a year, and uh, when we were living together, I went through a major library hall on the regular. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of the books that I read because I thought, like, why not try it out was uh, one of the James Bond novels. It's just something I felt like, well, I love the movies. You know, as somebody who's interested in adaptations and really fascinated by that, I should read the original source material. Which one was it? Was it Casino Royale or was it a different one? Do you uh, remember? I can't remember. I don't think it was actually Casino Royale because the plot did not follow... It was some other Ian Fleming. Yeah, but it was it was Bond an novel. Ian Fleming novel, and the cover was really cool and stylized. And I thought I was gonna be in for some madcap spy adventures. And what I got instead was racism and sexism. <laughs> A lot of it. I remember you were very alarmed. I was very alarmed. <laughs> I have not read any of these books, so oh. I just everything I know about them I learned from Caitlin and her being vocally very alarmed. <laughs> Uh, which may or may not be a trend for me. It depends on how you read this podcast, <laughs> uh, or at least my take on it. But um, it was one of the... I struggled with that Ian Fleming novel a little bit because I enjoy Bond movies, and obviously there's some problematic moments in there about how Bond relates to women, which, spoiler alert, is mostly through sex. Almost exclusively through sure, sex. Sure, sure. Uh, he's famous for it. He's famous for it. He's an international man of mystery and uh, is apparently quite sexy. Uh, depends on who's playing him at the moment, but, you know, I happen to agree with yeah. Daniel Craig. But uh, regardless, the book had um, had something to do, like the plotline had a lot to do with, um, like, Harlem and the black community in Harlem in the era that the book was um, written in. What could possibly go wrong? Right. Um, and, oh, my God, the, the just casual use of racism and, and the terms that he would use to describe both men and women of, of color uh, and the way that the book condescended about, about who they were as people was really difficult and... Ultimately, in my many, many conversations with Marissa, something that I was struggling with was, do I treat this like a time capsule? Is this something that I just try to shake off a little bit and say, well, yes, this is terrible and I don't like it and I reject this in my contemporary life, but do I just read this book and enjoy this book as a sign of its time? And, you know, ultimately I decided that I couldn't. <laughs> Well, it's funny that you should say that. I think it is really interesting to look at books from the past, especially pulpier books like this Ian Fleming one or like the Sweet Valley novels, and see what we can learn about that time 
through those books. And that's one of the things that I think is so much fun about reading these books through a modern lens is that some of what you read is like, whoa, we need to talk about this. <laughs> but, you know, I had a very similar feeling. I just recently read a book I had on my shelf, a prize possession from the thrift store for the longest time. It was Judy Bloom's book, Wifey. So Judy Bloom, famous for like super fudge, like, are you uh, there, there, God? God you, Margaret, like <laughs> yeah. YA and even younger than YA classics. But Wifey is like a racy, like sexy book about a woman who has a series of affairs. She's like a, like a sad housewife. And it's set in the 70s, and the picture it paints of being a New Jersey housewife in the 70s and that whole culture is grim. That's not even the point of the book, to, I don't think, is not to paint this grim picture. But when I closed it, I was like, I am glad that I am not trying to be somebody's wife in the <laughs> mid-70s or late 70s right now, because this sucks. Yeah, so I think that's that's a really good point. We... Obviously, as people who enjoy reading or, you know, even if you don't read that much, if you're a, a moviegoer and you like film history or, you know, TV history, you go back on some of these beloved objects, we'll call them, or, you know, if you're discovering them for the first time. And there is a bit of that shock value in a way of exploring that new media and being like, is this okay? Am I allowed to enjoy this? This well, is really offensive to me as a contemporary person. Well, that's a good point. As a as a film scholar, which you are, you come up against that a lot when looking at older films, um, the way in which what is acceptable, politically, politically correct or culturally acceptable has changed. And we have these living documents that there are some things where, you know, you go back and watch, you know, a movie like, I don't know, like the jazz singer. And it's mm -hmm. just like, it's very famous for being, you know, the first talkie, but uh, infamous for being all about a guy in blackface. Yeah. But it, you don't even have to go back that far. You know, you can look at more recent movies where, um, you know, you look at like a movie like Revenge of the Nerds and you're like, I think maybe that nerd, like maybe raped that girl. Yeah, or or even if you, uh, to find a good parallel for the Sweet Valley High books, if you go back and watch some John Hughes movies, like The Breakfast Club or Pretty in Pink. Oh, Sixteen Candles. Sixteen Candles is a great example where you're just like, ah, this portrayal of a person of color, you know, Long Duck Dong. Yeah. Good God, why? And the why? whole the whole relationship between, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank, but the guy and the girl is a little, she's, I don't know, the way that she's just waiting for him. It's very and, much like Jessica waiting for Bruce, oh, right? Oh, I'm forgetting the main thing that's crazy. I don't even know which is the main thing, but the way that she gives her underwear to oh. Anthony Michael Hall. That's the thing that people always talk about when they talk about that movie. It's Long Duck Dong and the whole, like, oh, yeah, oh, you precocious boy, you can have my underwear so that people think we had sex. Just, ew. That's that movie, right? Yeah, oh, no, you're not wrong. <laughs> it's all the same movie. Yeah. Rest in peace, John Hughes, but, man, that's messed up. Yeah, well, so, and again, people love John Hughes movies, and they're not wrong to love John Hughes movies, but I don't think that you can, you know, passionately love them without maybe acknowledging that there's some serious issues with them. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably as good a point as any to close our conversation. Is there any, anything else pressing you want to get to? Let me, let me, like, flip through my notes. Uh, oh, one thing really quick before we close out. Um, so something more about myself is that I really have a long and storied history of reading romance novels. Oh, um, yeah. 
And the one thing that struck me as being almost the most romance novel, besides the obvious Bruce Jessica plot, is the fact that Elizabeth writes this column. She writes the eyes and ears column for the Oracle, the school newspaper. Yes. And I was thinking of a particular series of Regency romance novels that are set in England where each chapter opens with a bit of a gossip rag about the main characters, and that's so much what it felt like for me. There is a chapter in this book that opens with the eyes and ears column. You know, so-and-so has a crush on so-and-so. Don't Somebody likes a basketball player, hopes she gets lucky. I don't know. Yeah. That's not what it says, but that's, <laughs> that's essentially what it says. Yes, yeah, so hope, hope she catches his eye or something. But uh, So no, I just wanted to kind of throw that in there at the end here to think about, like, how this might have been kind of informed by the tradition of romance novels and, like, women readers. I think when we get those glimpses of the characters and uh, any description in this book of Jessica pining after Bruce, the, like, physical description of Bruce gets very romance novel-y. Yeah, it's very Harlequin romance novel, you know, the ones that are just these, again, very thin volumes of emotional turmoil and lust. (laughs) Yes. Lust. Stirrings. Stirrings. In in your stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Caitlin. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad to be back anytime. Thanks for listening to this week's Extra Drama Bonus episode. Tune in next week for a full report on book number four, Power Play, featuring the saga of poor, poor Robin Wilson. I love to hear your thoughts on all this sex talk. Email me at sweetvalleydiaries at me.com or I'm on Twitter at Sweet Valley and on Instagram at Sweet Valley Diaries. If you're interested, check out the blog that I've been keeping about this stuff since 2006. The posts about the first few books are short and sweet and over 10 years old. It's sweetvalleydiaries.net. Thanks. <laughs>